It's Tuesday, July 17th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Bogota, Colombia. Well, recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Trulia Newble, who is an author, speaker, and director of community outreach for the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and we were able to talk about life, race, and discipling our families. We are grateful to have Trulia Newble here uh, on the Defender podcast, and Trulia is the author of several books, including one that my family has really enjoyed, a kid's book called God's Very Good Idea. Uh, She has had the opportunity to write on many things and many issues, including faith, family, and diversity. And she has been published in the Knoxville News Sentinel, Desiring God, True Woman, Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, along with the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission website, which she is currently the Director of Community Outreach. And so she has spoken at numerous conferences, churches, women's retreats, colleges, and seminaries. And uh, I know just recently was at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference as well. So Trillia, we're so grateful to have you here. And I know that you are there with your family in Nashville, Tennessee, but just wanted to first have you just give a snapshot over your story and just personally who you are. Um, Well, it's interesting that you want a snapshot of my story because it's it's so broad, but... um, I am the mother of two lovely children and the husband of third, or the wife of third. <laughs> he is my husband, and we have been married for about 15 years. I became a Christian at the age of 22. So I was um, I, not a Christian, didn't grow up in the Christ, a Christian home, and would have believed, uh, I guess, I hate labels for some reason, but in, if you would want to label me, I would have been pretty left and liberal. And so I would have believed that um, abortion was a right and I, um, many other things. But th- that was probably one of the big worldview changes when I became a Christian. So when I became a Christian, I, um, the Lord obviously transformed my heart and, so that I would have a heart of flesh that would love him and know him, but also transform transform my worldview, my mind. And um, I, I just began to understand um, that he is the creator and that life begins with him and, and that all people are valued by God. So, so that is a really quick, quick snapshot of my story. Yeah, and obviously it's it's so broad, like each and every one of us, to see the Lord's hand at work in drawing us uh, out of the mire and the clay and, and thinking only of ourselves. And, and you mentioned even how your view on the sanctity of life has changed. And I know I enjoyed some of the things uh, that you said at the Evangelicals for Life, and, and you've really are now a very passionate life advocate Um, But can you talk just a little bit about that change and then how can we engage pro-choice supporters with the message of the gospel and the message of this life ethic? Yes. Um, Okay. So that change really came from getting in God's word and seeing things, um, understanding Genesis one that I'm created and that, um, and understanding that we are created male and female in the image of God. And so that God has given us intrinsic value just in the fact that he has created us, every person walking on this earth. 
and then understanding that God has knit us together in his in our mother's womb and that every hair is counted and and then understanding the the gospel that Jesus died for anyone who would believe and so i I do believe that that um getting in God's word is what transforms me um but it started with gospel transformation that God saved me so that I could see this um and and see the value in what he has done um and then regarding how to engage those who do not believe as we do with the gospel message i think for for people who are pro life one of the mistakes i i'm going to use the word mistake but one of the mistakes we've made is that we have made this um, topic so narrow that it excludes any other, any other real, really life issue. So, so for us, I think what we, what we can do is to broaden our understanding of what it means to be truly be pro-life and to have a whole life, holistic pro-life ethic. So that means that we care about the unborn and we care about the elderly. And I've heard people call it from womb to tomb, but we want to make sure that when we're communicating and, and we can't communicate what we don't have a conviction of. Right. So we will, I guess we need to start with, do we have a understanding that God doesn't just call us to care for the unborn, but he's called us to care for the, uh, the orphan. Mm. And the widow, and the elderly, and the dis- the disabled, and and so there are, there is a wide range of people that we need to be um, caring for. The refugee, mm. this is, and and that these things are are not just random social issues that we are latching onto, but we we're we're, we're grounded in the Word of God. And um, and caring for the least of these, and caring for the poor and our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves. This, to me, I think, changes the conversation for the better, and it also helps us get get it an an in an inroad, which isn't necessarily the goal. The goal isn't just <laughs> that we have an inroads, but sure. but it does help us to get an inroads to um, having a, a healthy conversation with those who are pro-choice hmm. um, because, because it is something that is, is broader than, than just caring for um, the unborn. But that is extremely important and we don't want to not focus there. Yeah. And I think, I think you've hit it so clearly. I mean, we want to, we obviously want to be for the unborn, uh, but a true pro-life ethic says, well, once they're born, you still have to advocate for that life. And so how are we going to ed- advocate for women and how are we going to advocate for children? And like you said, the elderly. And, you know, one of the the, the tenets of, of our ministry at Lifeline is we want to equip people to say, you know, once this life is born, a truly pro-life ethic means we're going to reach out for this to this woman. And so I know a lot of times that, uh, at least politically, 
the, the pro-life stance as such has been labeled as an anti-woman stance, but we want to be pro-woman in the way that we wrap around these women uh, who are making these courageous choices to, to be moms and um, potentially even to place their babies for adoption. We want to wrap around them and love them, try to help them, try to help reconcile them with their children, uh, but ultimately walk life with them. And so what a, what a beautiful picture of, of being pro-life from, from birth, uh, from the womb into the tomb. And so I know that another one of these really even life issues is, is the, the issue of race. And we spoke about your children's book, and, and I know it kind of tackles some of these uh, racial reconciliation and racial issues. And um, obviously, personally, you have uh, a marriage of, of, of two races, and, and so you deal with this on a, on a daily basis. But how would you counsel or speak to families who are adopting and fostering transracially? Um, yes. So my husband is white and so we are um, a multi-ethnic family and we have two beautiful biracial children. I would encourage if you are adopting um, someone who or a child who is of an, another ethnicity that you expose them to um to the to that ethnic group. So whether that's culturally, how through history, that they just know at some point, okay, this is this is where I have I've come from and I came from. I recently spoke at an event and I had the absolute sweetest letter written to me from a young Ethiopian um, child who was who had said that she had never seen a a black uh, Christian speak and it it emboldened her and it encouraged her faith for her to speak and and so it is so important for um, these kids to see, to to be able to see people of faith who are who look like them mm. and and it, it's, it's it's essential so that I think is probably one of the it's something important. And then grounding us in our, everybody, we all need to be grounded in our identity in Christ. So I think um, that is also essential and important. Um, if we are trying to, to uh, adopt or um, transracially that, that they understand what it means to be made in the image of God, that we can reflect every single one of us, his glory, and then that um, we have we are new creations once we believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, mm. and that doesn't get rid of our ethnicity. It only actually makes it just more beautiful, I think. Right. And um, and and that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there together worshiping. And so we, he does, God doesn't get rid of our ethnicities even in heaven. So we can celebrate and enjoy that we are made differently um, by our creator God. Mm. I love what even Dr. Moore has said about uh, kind of this whole idea of a transracial family is uh, I heard him speaking one time and he said, you know, you have more in common uh, with the believer, with the child of God that's living in rural Africa than you do with your next door neighbor uh, who is far and estranged from God. Uh, because yeah. what, what binds us together is the blood of Christ and the love of Christ and the family of God. And uh, 
what a what a what a beautiful picture of God bringing together and and just knitting together for Himself uh, a, a multi ethnic family uh, that will praise Him and give Him glory. And I I think a lot of a lot of times, unfortunately, families and, and, and really as people, our fear is the, the fear of the unknown and, and what's going to come around the corner. And, um, you know, we, 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 we are people that want to be able to, to schedule out our days and know what's coming ahead. And you've actually written some pretty powerful things about fear and the character of God. And, and I know that, uh, that you've talked about trusting in God. And, and, and even a, a year ago, we were talking earlier, you spoke at a women's conference at our church, Church at Brook Hills. And I know that was one of the, the topics that, that my wife came away from. That women's conference is just how as a woman, she's prone to fear, but as people were prone to fear. So what have you learned personally about overcoming fear that you could just share with our listeners? Well, for me, uh, a lot of the things that it boils down to is trusting God and and trusting him with um, the future, trusting him with um, that he's in control and he's good. So I, I think um, a lot of our fear, we don't we would we probably wouldn't say it, but it comes down to unbelief. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's it's like we say. I believe help my unbelief Mm -hmm. and help me trust that what I have learned about you, Lord is true and that I can actually truly trust you and I can rest in, in this knowledge, the knowledge of God that I have and that you can um, give me more knowledge of you. And so for me, that I think is what it boils down to is just trusting the Lord and believing he is who he says he is. And that is, um, yeah, that is, that is a, if we got into really specific, I might have. So for example, the fear of man, we might want to preach something. So the fear of man would be the fear of other people, people and caring about what people think more than caring about the Lord. So if we got really specific, I would get um, a, a more specific answer. But the general, I think, is just a matter of trust, which we have to fight for. And we don't want to give Christian platitude or, you know, pl- these answers that are just, um, I'm going to use the word Christian-y, <laughs> yeah. that we use often, but we need more depth than that. But I, so I want to be careful there. But with that said, I do believe it boils down to unbelief. Mm. Yeah. And God obviously calls us to a life of complete trust. And I mean, even if you look through the word, you see these great heroes of faith and um, these men and women that the Lord used so mightily through his word and things never went the way they thought they would. And uh, we have the, we have the, you know, the, the privilege of being able to see the end of the story. Um, but we don't have the privilege of seeing the end of our story. And so hopefully, as we look through the Gospels, we look through the Word of God, it'll bolster our faith to have faith in a God who is, whose character is to be consistent, whose character is one who doesn't change his mind, who's steadfast and immovable and working ultimately for his glory and for our good. And, and I know that as families are going through the adoption process and going through the foster process, you never know what's around on the other end. But we know for sure that no matter what that journey looks like, we have a God that will walk us through that journey um, and, and take us to the other side 
God. And, uh, and prayerfully, you know, Julia, one of the things that we're hoping for our families is that they will have opportunities in the messiness of adoption, in the messiness of foster care, in the messiness of, 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 of gospel-driven justice, that they will have opportunities for discipleship, to disciple birth families, to disciple orphans, disciple vulnerable children and foster children, and, and to ultimately point them to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to equip families to be disciple makers in their homes, even through the messiness of life, to, to work with and love on and pour the gospel into their children. And we, we spoke briefly about the, the children's book that you have, have recently written, God's Very Good Idea. And I know that we've read that with our children and talked over that book with our children. But can you just talk a little bit about kind of the motivation that, uh, that went into writing this book? You know, it's so interesting because it was the local church. I, was, um, I did a, a, a Sunday school lesson to our kids at my church and their response led me to ask uh, the good book company if they would like to consider a book about this. So I was um, asked to speak on diversity in the image of God and, and try to relate that to children. And as I was researching, I, I couldn't find anything. And so it just, I, I realized, man, I need, I, I need to, I have to write the curriculum. And, and then I realized if I'm not finding anything, how many other people are not? Mm. And this, the, the kids, they were, they asked their parents questions and they were so intrigued. And, and I remember my, one of my friends telling me that she said to, to that one of that her daughter commented about my sister that, I mean, my daughter, that Sydney, my daughter, wasn't just her friend, she's her sister. And I knew at that point, oh, this, I've got to write this. And, and by the grace of God, the Good Book Company um, allowed me to take a stab at a children's book. It was my first, and I, I had never um, written a children's book before. And, and I, God's very good idea uh, came out of, of just a Sunday school lesson. <laughs> and, um, and I've been very grateful for the response the, and the reception of this, this book and, and how the Lord seems to be using it. Amen. Well, and what would you, as you've written this book and even thought about resources for families to help them communicate these very big ideas to their children, uh, we are obviously raising our children in a very politically charged world, one that is increasingly yeah. hostile uh, and difficult, uh, where it just feels that like there's more and more polarization. How would you counsel and, and just tell our listeners um, what, what's one thing you would just counsel them towards as discipling their children in this increasingly difficult world? I really believe that we just need to be honest about, and age appropriately honest, right? So um, at, my kids really didn't start to notice anything was going on until maybe around first grade. And so I, maybe around seven, eight, they started to recognize, okay, we know that sin is in the world, but we didn't realize how affected the world is by it. Mm. So, so that they would see um, that, that someone 
there's there was some racial division and 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 a, a rally, and they would ask, "Well, what is that about?" or or they would just learn about the civil rights movement or the Jim Crow laws, and 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 so age appropriately, we just need to be really honest that the world is broken by mm-hmm. sin. We live in a Genesis three world, and how that affects the way that we communicate and the way that we um, interact with other people. I think if we're honest, then 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 it, it, I think it's good. It's good to be um, honest about where we are as an, as a people and and what that means in our relationships and how that affects the world. I so so really I think it boils down to 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 explaining sin rightly and and how. Um, sin affects absolutely everything and and why we live in a polarized world. With that said, I think we don't just end there. We, we, we want to teach what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, to be forbearing. What does it look like to to be countercultural in a culture where we're all everyone's against each other. Mm. So how do we love our neighbor? How do we how do we seek understanding when we don't understand? What does it look like to to disagree um, in a way that is still it's not stripping the dignity of that person. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we have a unique opportunity as Christians to to speak into this and to act differently than what mm-hmm. the world is. Amen. And it's so important that even while this world is so much more hostile and so much more difficult and politically charged and, and divided, we have an opportunity in that moment, really to have discussions with our children that maybe former generations didn't have, that their trust was too much in the American dream, and they didn't see uh, the opportunities to really be able to press into your children. You know, I know we can look at difficulty as hard and something to fear, but we can also see it as an opportunity to be able to sow gospel seeds and preach the gospel to our children. And there's really no time like right now that we've ever had the opportunity as parents to press in on our children and show them the gospel, that the gospel says that that uh, God created all men uh, in his image, red, yellow, black, and white. God created all races for his glory. God created us in his image and God died for us so that we would be a new people. So Trillia, thank you for uh, holding high the gospel uh, on behalf of the church, on behalf of speaking into the lives of women and children and families and men. And thank you for utilizing your gifts for the glory of God. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. And thank you for having me. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.